I'm Will Hansen and welcome to the Experts in the Room podcast brought to you by Extreme Push. In this series, we chat to some of the leading minds working in the customer experience, retention and data space in some of the most competitive and fastest growing industries in the world. In this episode, Player Education, I spoke with Jamie Shea, CMO at Strive Gaming, an industry veteran all the way from the Strip in Las Vegas. Jamie has seen and done it all in the US market. We dig into how player education is to be at the forefront of thinking for brands in the US market as it continues to regulate. Jamie shares some great stories from her time in the industries and shares some expert advice on what she sees as huge opportunities for growth in North America. This is a good one. You're all very welcome to Experts in the Room. Uh, we have a cracking episode today and when we talk about experts in iGaming and the sports betting and gaming industry, then we have no better than um, CMO of Strive Gaming, Jamie Shea. Welcome to the podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to have you on board with us today. Thank you so much. I'm super happy to be here. We've got a lot to cover. Um, I've got about 4,000 notes in front of me that I think we're going <laughs> to tick off. Um, but I think, Jamie, I'd love uh, if, you, if you could do a little bit of intro maybe around what Strive are doing in the iGaming space. And then I think I'd love to dig into your background, um, particularly where you started life um, within this industry, um, the gaming industry, because I think it informs the whole conversation around what we're going to talk about today, probably about player education and, and about best practice in, in how we should be talking and edu- educating and, and engaging with our fans um, within this industry. So um, tell us a little bit about Strive and tell us about your role as a CMO there. Yeah, I'm super excited to be with Strive. I started September of last year. Um, just a powerful group of people, man. They are, they are really good. Um, Max and Damien came over from Canby, you know, started this, this company that Basically, they, they looked at the gaps in the industry and said, where can we fill, what, what do we need to make sure that this industry is extremely successful, um, that we are pushing forward, we're being innovative. And so that's when they came up with Strive. And, um, you know, when I talked to them, when I knew that I was leaving DraftKings, you know, I started talking to them and, and I was just so interested in everything that they they were doing everything that they were bringing to the table and now what we're bringing to the table as a group and we they've hired um you know just really fantastic people who have a, a, a ton of experience um so really it's it's it is this pam that everybody d- needs that they maybe didn't know that they needed it's player account management and, and i try to describe a pam to people and they're like what what is that you know and it's it's that tool that you need. It's the engine that really just guides everything for your players and makes sure that your players have a great experience from the, the front end of the app to the back end to you know making sure that you have all of the data, all of the information, um, that you can use this data uh, in a way that it's very easy to pull. You can make sure that you're, you, know, you, you have it to your marketing teams, that you have it, like what we talk about with Extreme Push, you know, the, the back and forth, right? Where you know, the data gets out, you guys push the message, and then we get the, the data back and say, this is, this is what resonates. These are the really cool things that we should be doing. Um, and so you know, Strive has come in gangbusters and um, just really happy to be a part of this team. Uh, that's great. And I, I should do the caveat that Extreme Push and um, Strive are obviously strong partners uh, as well in, in what we do. So um, plenty of shared clients in the North American market. So yeah, it is, it is a really good partnership. And Jamie, I know you're, 
you're a huge advocate um, with it or, or a passionate advocate within the industry. And I guess that comes from your background about where you started within the industry as a bit of a trailblazer um, in Vegas. So I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear a little bit about that um, backstory and how you got into uh, the gaming industry as a whole um, and, and where that kind of journey has led you to now um, working with a B2B provider. So well, it, it definitely was a, a weird route. Um, I went to school in New Orleans to be uh, a teacher, an elementary education teacher. So <laughs> that education helped form how I, how I was able to do in this industry. It's funny, I started going to um, Harris Dealing School when I was in New Orleans and, uh, and thought, you know, I, I kind of like this industry. My parents had moved to Las Vegas in the meantime. So um, when I got out of school, I, I moved to Las Vegas and my first job was in at the Sands, which no longer exists, but it was the original yeah. Sands that the Rat Pack used to play in and um, and uh, started in their sports book there. And really with the old school guys, like, um, you know, they came, I came in and they had just gotten a computer that had Don Best on it that was able to see, you know, all the odds from across the, the city. And it was like, wow, look, we can see all this stuff. But, um, you know, before that I was taking, you know, the, the power rankings and they sat me down and said, you know, we're going to teach you how to make odds. And I was like, sure, you know, <laughs> so, um, and they did, and they were wonderful to me. They, they really educated me on everything sports. I knew the horse racing industry because my dad had owned horses when I was race horses when I was growing up. So I had been to, you know, the racetracks in Florida and, um, all of that. So I was, I was well versed on what's an exact, a trifecta, you know, all the slang for, um, for horse racing in the U S and um and that helped me get my foot in the door right and then it was it became a yeah. thing about sports and let's talk about how how do you make these odds and you know the way you moved a line back in the day was the money moved the line it was not based on your own um thoughts or feelings too much yeah. it was it was meant to be you know how do you think that we'll get the most two-sided action what's the right line that people will come in and say you know, I think that this team is great. I think this team is great. So that you're not sitting there with a, a huge, you know, tons of money on one side and nothing on the other. Yeah. So how do you just to make a very balanced line? It has evolved dramatically since then, obviously. But um, but for me, it was, um, you know, that's where I got my start uh, working with some some wonderful talent that really just, you know, it definitely is that that guy's world. Um, but yeah. I was never like treated any differently. It was, oh, cool. You know how to do this? Let's do this. And so um, I was very lucky in that um, I had these great mentors that I'm still friends with today that, you know, are slowly, slowly starting to retire from the business and all of that, which makes me sad. But, you know, Johnny Avello, who's over at DraftKings, you know, we joke, he knew me when I was 21 years old and that's 30 yeah. years ago, which is crazy. <laughs> um so yeah, it's, I've been in this industry for a long time, but I um, I moved on to run you know the Hard Rock Race and Sportsbook. That was my my first director job, um, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, tons of celebrities coming through and and all yeah. of that. And I, I think I told you a story about um, about one of our players that came in that was a, a very big name, um, still a big name to this day. And and why I'm so passionate about education in in sports betting and i gaming. Um, he came in and he wanted to bet the Red Sox and he, you know, bet 5k to, to win. And, um, 
you know, he t- walks away with his bet and then he comes back up and he like motions me over to the side and he's like, what did I just bet? So <laughs> then I start explaining to him like, oh, you know, you, you bet the Red Sox and you've got listed pitchers, you have, you know, the money line and all this stuff. And he's like, what does that mean? <laughs> so yeah, here's a yeah. guy who bet five grand and has no idea what he bet. So I, I walked him through it. We ended up voiding the bet because he didn't want listed pictures, and he, he then yeah. he understood what the money line was, and he bet to win five thousand because the Red Sox were a, a big favorite. Um, so it was really cool for me to see that, and and it really helped me realize that you know you everybody goes in with an expectation that these players know they already know how to bet sports. Well, how would they? I mean, if you're if you're talking about you know somebody in Ohio or you know one of these places that have just started, Kentucky just passed regulation to get sports betting, yeah, they may have called the guy down the street and said, hey, I want to put 20 bucks on this, but they don't really know the nuances. They don't know how this works. So my big, you know, soapbox that I keep getting on is is the education of the player is probably your best retention tool because it teaches them, you know, how to play. It's, it's so interesting because an experience like that around your entry to the industry is informing how you're you're looking at it and obviously you've, you've got such a vast background with it and um i tell an anecdote of a similar thing being an antipodean from australia moving to the to the uk and ireland um and same thing going in to put a, tri- a, a box quinella on or a box trifecta which is which to me growing up with tab down in australia was very simple and i knew how to do that but you walk into a, a boil sports in the back end of scotland um, to try and put on a I'm like, can I have a box trifecta? And it's like, pal, we don't do trifectas here in my Scottish accent. And it's like, we do forecasts and we do tricasts. So I was like, I don't know how to fill that out on your form. I was like, what do you mean you don't have a computer I can touch it on? And this is only a few years ago. Um, so I know the feeling around that education piece that each market is different. And then the US presents so many challenges that people haven't engaged with it before. And you've got big brands like DraftKings, um, who you've worked for, that are trying to engage with new customers um, to bring them into that into that industry. Um, so how, how do you think that that player education piece can be addressed today in the market? Do you think brands are doing a good job of it digitally? And and when you even go in the store and you're trying to, trying to do it, like I know retail wouldn't be as big a thing unless you're in Vegas, but um, in the US, but like, how do you, how do you think brands can get smart about what they're doing around that player education piece? I think first they just re- need to recognize it's an issue. You know, I think that um, the brands yeah. need to say, you know, and it's, it's a tight walk because you also have to be careful that you're not um, running afoul of responsible gaming. We don't want to push anybody to do anything that they wouldn't already be doing. Right. So we're not trying to, um, we're trying to educate players so that they can make the best bet for them and so that they can have the most entertaining time. Um, But a lot of times, you know, they just don't even know that certain bets exist. And, And one of the things that's driving me crazy right now in the U S industry is in play like uh, why is that not bigger why is that not 70 percent of all bets should be in play to me because it's so fun it's so you know instant gratification um it it really you know and if you look at the the european markets it's it is the 70 percent are probably in play um and so i would love to see that happen in the u.s and and until we can educate the players on how that works, how, um, you know, where do you find it in the app? Where do you, and, and it's getting better. It's, you're starting to see the prominence of it. Yeah. Um, that's where, you know, you have the push notifications, you have, you know, anything that you can to let the customer know, hey, there is this wager available. Um, it's a lot of fun. Anytime that I've sat down with people and, and taught them 
how it works. They they're like, oh, I love this, and you know, and then that's what yeah. they that's their go to after that. Um, I had this story where I was on a plane coming home from London uh, back to I was living in Hoboken, New, Hoboken, New Jersey at the time. This is when yeah. I was working with DraftKings, and um, I had a gentleman, you know, ask me what I did, and I told him, and so then he had a million questions, right? So it's so funny. As soon as I say what I do, it's like, oh, <laughs> and then, yeah. So he, he said, I don't know how to bet. Like, how do you do this? And so we agreed to meet the following Sunday in Hoboken, um, where legalization of sports betting was, was all good. And um, so we sat there, and, and I showed him in play, and he kept trying, trying, trying. And he said, you know, if you weren't here, I probably would have already given up because I just yeah. don't understand it. And that's, you know, that was a big light bulb moment for me as well, saying, you know, it, we really need to help the player to understand the bets. They need to understand what's available, how they can bet. And I think that there's there's a lot of simple things you can do. You know, we, we have T's and C's, we have facts on, on pages. I just don't know that people go and read them. Um, there's tabs on all the different apps. You can look at FanDuel, you know, all the different apps. There are tabs. Yeah. but. We need to get to them in a different way. We need to get to them in a way that's organic, in a way that they're they're going to see it, that they don't have to search for it. Yeah, and I think it's it's so interesting in in the way brands are approaching the American market at the moment, right? Like, so in in play, the American sports or the the North American sports, should I say, just lend themselves to it so much more than so than potentially some of the European sports that people bet on. Um, but the way brands are traditionally thinking about it, they're coming at a market that that they might be thinking, oh, well, there's some presumed knowledge around what a player is or a fan is is thinking, but then there's no actual cultural basis for it, right? So in Australia or the UK is mature markets that have always had sports betting, that have always had horse racing. Um, it's, it's part of the intrinsic language of the actual sports. You can't turn on an NRL game or a cricket game or a rugby game or an AFL game in Australia without a sports betting ad, without horse racing, without promotions around that. And that's from when I was, I can still remember my dad's phone account, TAB login number that I would ring up and put bets on when him and my granddad wouldn't know. And they'd be like, why is the account, why is the account down to zero? Um, obviously I was over 18 when I was doing that for anyone listening in Australia, but um, you know, yeah, exactly. But like that's a that's a cultural thing that's part of part of understanding and learning it. And now obviously that would depend person to person and family to family. So, um, but I think that's so interesting for brands looking at either entering that market or looking to work with providers within that market or providers like Strive that are that have intrinsic knowledge and expertise about the market on what needs to be done to educate players to take them down that step. So is that, that the type of thing that you guys are really trying to address with what you're doing from a platform perspective? We are, yeah. We're, we're trying to be as innovative as possible, really looking to say, you know, what is needed in the industries? And, and I, I joke that you get a do-over with each new state, right? So you can you yeah. know, look and see how did you do, you know, when Ohio rolled out, now going into Kentucky, what are we going to do different? Because that, that group is kind of, you know, Ohio's right there. Um, it's kind of the same kind of demographic. Um, what can you do different going in there to to help players understand what they're playing, um, what the different options are? And, you know, with Strive, we have this powerful infinity engine that gives us so much data and so much understanding. And, um, you know, anybody, any operator who uses Strive, um, you know, gets this powerful tool that will help them to, you know, guide their players and, and help their players to have a wonderful experience. 
Um, that's what we can provide and that's what we focus on every day. And how are you guys addressing, like it, 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 it tends to be a taboo topic. Oh, not taboo. Like I think it's better in the industry at the moment and I've just come off a few conferences. So responsible gaming around this, um, how do you think, how important do you think that is for, for brands to be so, to be upfront with it, engage with it, with their players, um, to really understand the data and really understand how to drive an environment that's obviously inclusive, um, that educates players, not only around what bets they can place, but about what limits that they should be setting themselves about um, what they should be doing from a perspective of, of, of RG. Is that something that's at the forefront of what you're thinking about at the moment? It's it's on our minds every day. Everything we do is with a lens of responsible gaming. Um, you know, I, I grew up with, uh, you know, talking about my dad owning racehorses. He was yeah. also a problem gambler. And so for me, it's a very personal topic. You know, I grew up with, with the, you know, my dad losing his whole business um, because of, of okay. not responsible gaming. But that's because it was you know, not regulated. It wasn't, it wasn't yeah. the stuff that, um, that anybody could have seen, you know, this person might be having a problem, you know, that nobody was texting him and asking him how he was doing back in 1984. Right. So, yeah, um, yeah. you know, so I, I think that that's one of the great things about having all of this data is you can look to see, you know, does someone change their behavior dramatically? Um, I think we're all working together for the same goal. So if you have your yeah. back-end sportsbook provider, you have Strive doing, you know, pulling all the data, I think we can all say that we can see, you know, when somebody uh, goes from being a $5 better to a $1,000 better, you know, things like that. Those are all things that we want to watch and say, you know, and check in with the person. Everything going okay? Um, being very cognizant of, of when the player interacts with us. You know, we have a managed services team and they talk to our customer service team. Our customer service team is extremely well-trained to kind of notice when something, when certain trigger words, right? To say like, yeah. this person might be having a problem. And, you know, they also have the, the great tool of going in and setting deposit limits, you know, withdrawal limits, like any, any kind of limits that they want, the, how much do they want to bet per day? How much do they want to bet per week? You know, having all of those limits set up in there, um, they can kind of help themselves to go in and say, and, and also self-exclusion. You know, they can say, I don't want any marketing stuff. Um, you know, yeah. I don't want I don't want to hear anything from any of you guys. I want to bet when I want to bet, but I don't want you to send me any marketing things. Um, and that's, I think that's a great thing. I think that um, it gives the power to them you know, we can't be their therapist. We can't know everything that, that we're thinking. But what we yeah. can do is provide the right tools to enable people to, you know, keep enjoying sports betting and enjoying iGaming in a, in a very responsible manner that isn't going to affect their lives, that they're they're doing it, they're looking at it as, you know, pure entertainment value and not this is going to pay my rent. You know, we never yeah. want anybody looking at it that way. So, you know, with Strive and with the Infinity Engine, um, we have all that data. We can start to look to say, you know, do we see a problem here? And I and I think that gives the re regulators, I think it makes them feel confident in us, you know, to say, yeah. you know, we are doing the right thing. And, and nobody wants to be regulated um, in a way that we can't, you know, that, that somebody else is doing the regulating of us. So if we can self-regulate and get us to a point where, you know, it's not... Um, somebody coming in and say, people can only bet $5. You know, we, we want people to be able yeah. to bet within their means and everybody's means are different. Yeah, yeah, and, that, and it, it's a it's such a topical conversation um, in the European market as well as the US market. I think it, I think we'll, we'll continue to see that being talked about and 
the best in that industry that can be hoped for is that both government and industry get together and, and actually engage around it rather than kind of um, not looking at the data. And I think that feeds into a lot of, a lot of what is happening with industry. It's, it's not a touch and feel thing anymore. We, can, we have the tools to really assess what's going on from a data perspective um, and start to really provide benefits to our players off the back of that. Um, and obviously, any of the operators having, you know, host, you know, VIP hosting and things like that. Yeah. I think that really helps because they're going to get that first point of contact of somebody saying also, you know, yeah. the, the same trigger words, just like us having the customer service department. Um, they they know, you know, like if somebody says something, then we automatically let the operator know, hey, you need to do a check in on this customer. And and I, and I think that's a great thing. I think that that will help people. And, and it's not done in an aggressive manner of. Yeah. We, we think you have a problem. We're not, you know, <laughs> yeah, we're not yeah, their yeah. therapist. We just, you know, want to make sure you're okay and that, you know, you, that this is still fun for you. Yeah. And sh shifting gear here at the moment, um, I want to talk about the U.S. market in particular around um, kind of the strategies that are in play at the moment within the market. We've got a really high cost per acquisition. Uh, we've got some big brands competing for for. Uh, you know, a growing a growing market share. Um, we're probably going to see a second wave of brands come in, I think, um, and and start to attack the market as it continues to regulate. Um, how do you how do you see best practice for brands at the moment in what they're doing to kind of either acquire customers or, or players or retain their players at the moment? Are you guys st strongly of kind of? Do you think that there's a real churn and burn? Do you think that there's kind of a um, too much of a focus on people chasing bonuses like how do you think as a marketer can you marry that up um, to be driving the best experience to get players in, in and, and working with your brand loyally you know, i think five years ago when paspo was repealed and then you know taking that yeah. first bet on august 1st in new jersey you know it was a free-for-all it was nobody knew what should be done how it should be done yeah um you just knew you wanted as many actives as possible on your site and so it was bonus here, bonus there. Unfortunately, as as everybody came to realize that kind of created a uh, it, it set the customer up with an expectation that probably isn't realistic. Um, yeah, because those can't last forever. And and it also created a lot of promiscuity within the within the different brands. So you'd have you, yeah. you have a certain group that, you know, you can label promo hunters who would go and. And, um, you know, I'm going to play at this site because I have this promo and then next week I'm going to be on this site because they had this promo and it started to become a race to the bottom, right? Nobody was profitable and it was, it was making it very hard um, because you still have to make a profit in this business. Um, yeah. You can't give it all away. So I think, you know, with having the strives and the extreme push, um, I think it, it allows for so much more targeted marketing um, so the bonuses aren't just, you know, thrown at everyone. It is, yeah. you know, it, it gives you like scheduled triggers, right? It's, you know, um, it allows us to, to kind of go in and say, you know, this player plays like this. This is what would resonate with them rather than just, um, you know, like I, I, I keep saying, you know, free for all. Um, yeah. Instead of just having that, it's, it's a targeted, um, measured um, making sure that you're not overspending, and I think I think every every operator needs to come up with their acquisition budget, how much they're willing to spend to buy a customer. Um, you know, I, I, you need to make sure that that's in line with what you think that customer's lifetime value is. 
And, and I think that's what all the operators are doing now. I think everybody's, you know, taking a, a step back and, and I'll repeat this again, we get to have a do-over with every new state. And we get to say like, okay, maybe we don't do it this and see how, it, you know, you almost have like great A-B, t- A-B testing because yeah. you can say, well, we did this, yeah. you know, are we going to do this over here? Um, and, and you learn from every new state. Um, you also learn like what you did in New Jersey in 2018 isn't what you need to do in New Jersey in 2023, right? Because you have yeah. a much more mature market. Um, people understand better. So I, I think that, again, that's, that's where, you know, the, the, like strive and extreme push come in is you know they we can allow them to really hone their marketing to be targeted to the people that they want to they want on the site the people that are are there having fun and giving them what resonates with them you don't want to give someone who's playing five thousand dollars a game a five dollar free bet right so you want to target yeah, yeah. that too yeah. and and we're we're able to do that with our platform yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a big case of follow the data um, and be led by the data with it and 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 test the the testing piece is an interesting one. Um, how important do you think it is to continually test against what you're trying to achieve within the market? Now, I know the answer will obviously be yes. It's very important. Will that's a stupid question, um, but particularly within the U.S. market with the complexity of really different localities and localization uh like you're going to be doing different things in ohio than you are in new jersey you're going to be doing different things um across across the different states um how important do you think it is for brands to not take a is there a one size fits all or is it better to kind of be uh, testing at a really localized level um particularly in that u.s market i think you do need to have localization you know obviously you're going to have teams that are you know, the heart and soul of different states, you know, they'll, you know, you look at New England, the Patriots, I mean, people live and breathe by them right now watching the Celtics, right? I mean, people are going crazy over the Celtics. And um, so I think that it's really important to, um, to have that localization. But I also think that you have to think, you know, it's, I don't know who says it, but it's like act locally, think globally or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can claim that. You can claim that one. We'll put that into the title of the podcast as your as yours. Well, I do think that that's already taken by like a recycling thing or something. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but I think that that's something that we we have to do. We have to um, we have to be cognizant of who the players are. Um, understanding what they're playing, what they're interested in. Um, but then also from a national level, I think that it's important for people to understand sports betting, to understand iGaming. Um, I agree with having, you know, the commercials um, on different, uh, you know, sporting events and stuff like that. So people who know know who's out there, especially when you still have this large unregulated market out there. You know, yeah. we call it the gray market. Um, I would much rather have them seeing you know, vandals sign on games and things like that than I would, you know, them going off to, to bet somewhere that it's not regulated, that it's not, there's nobody watching out for their best interests. There's nobody, you know, making sure, checking in with them, making sure that they're okay. Um, so I think that from that national standpoint, I like the idea of those ads. Um, I think we can control how many ads, how much you see it, um, because I, I more than anything, you just start to get annoyed by them, right? I was, I was about to say, there's there's a fresh opportunity there to not go down the Australian route or the UK route, where if you're trying to watch the Premier League on Sky Sports, um, or you're trying to watch uh, the NRL on Fox Sports or Channel 9, it is literally wall-to-wall advertising for gambling companies. Um, and, you know, that's that's something that I think that, that 100% brands need. Brands and, and I think... 
the publishers on the other side of it, they need to be thinking about that relationship around how can we add value to our to our broadcast um, by having a limited amount of ads that match this to then give that environment of, of cool, we want to do some in-play betting. But when we have an ad that's Paddy Power followed by Ladbrokes followed by Bet365 all within the space of four ads, it's mm-hmm. like, come on, lads, like get your media buying a little bit better and maybe put in an ad for something else. Um, so, yeah, I think that's an interesting piece where, you, where you're saying each time there's a new test and learn, I think there's, there's a lot to be learned around that. That's probably a good segue into do, do you guys actively look at the mature markets to inform what you're doing in the US or is it completely blank slate thinking differently each time? No, you're, you're definitely going to look at what you've already done, right? You, you don't want to repeat the, um, you know, they say history repeats itself. You want to make sure yeah, that you're, yeah. you only have the good stuff that you repeat. You know, there, there's all of all of the companies are going to have stumbles, right? There's going to be things that they think um, this is a great marketing idea. I'm going to throw this out there and then it just it's not it doesn't resonate it resonated with us it doesn't resonate with them and so um i think that again you look at the localization making sure um that you're customizing it to your type of player as well you know you've got you've got a different kind of player if you're talking about tribal lands um versus you know the the people who play at a caesar's property or an mgm property um so there's there's definitely you know different different ways to look at it and um different ways to market to to that demographic that you have and that's you know i i hate to keep saying it, but that's where we come in right that's where we come yeah, in and say yeah. this is what the data says so i think you'd have a real problem if you didn't look at the the data and and see yeah. what's happened in other states and how how people are receptive to things and what what things people have said no to and what what things that the state legislators have said we don't like this um yeah. don't do this again you know and so so don't do it in the next state and um but then at the same time I think you have to to look at it as a, a new opportunity to grow every time you get into a new state to say, okay, we know these things work. These are our, our regular. These we're always going to do these different, you know, marketing schemes yeah. or anything like that. Um, and then going from there, you know, saying, okay, well, now let's try this because we know that you know people are in Ohio, they're, they're really strong for Cincinnati. What we can, what can we do around the Bengals? What can we do, yeah. you know, around the Cleveland Indians, you know, the, how can we get this to be, um, the, what, what's fit. And that's where like your advertising comes in and your targeted bonuses come in where you can say, you know, if you're going to bet this game, get this. And, and that, you know, everybody was going to bet that game. So they're really excited and they get a little something extra from it. I think, I think there's an interesting piece there around, Brands that do it right seem to have a good handle on their brand in the sense that their upper funnel advertising will then match the experience that they have within the app. And brands that break that promise, I think, in the current environment um, can really struggle. So there's nothing worse than seeing, oh, we're the, we're the brand that does X, Y, and Z, we're the in-play experts. And then you go onto the app and it's a really difficult experience to put on an in-play app. And that happens um, regularly enough, I think, where brands are are promising things in their upper funnel, but they're not matching their experience within in the lower funnel. Um, so do you think brands are doing a good enough job at the moment or operators are doing a good enough job at the moment to match 
what they're asking their customers about and the first party data that they're seeing within their apps and their websites to what they're thinking about their brand proposition is? Do you think there's a gap there that can be filled? I think there was a pretty significant gap, but I think it's getting better. Yeah, it's narrowing, yeah. Yeah, because I think that you're looking at it, I think everybody's looking at it as a way, um, you know, in 2018, it was just, we were all excited we had sports betting. Yeah, that we could finally do it, yeah. And and we're pushing to get iGaming out there. We're, we're trying to, you know, get all the states to legalize iGaming with it. And um, so I think that the apps will continue to get better. I think that, yeah. um, because they have to, or else they're going to, somebody's going to beat them out, right? So the operators are all going to have to look at each other and say, you know, like, this is, this person is doing this really well. At the end of the day, this needs to be the best customer experience, right? That should be everything, all your decisions should be informed by what do your customers want? What do your customers enjoy? How are they going to interact with this? If I was the customer, would, would I like this? You know, and, and one of the things about Strive's Infinity Engine is it was literally made for the US market. And so it, it falls right into, um, it wasn't something that was, was formed for, you know, something in the UK where people, you know, have different terminology, different, you know, ways yeah. of looking at it. It's it's built for the US, for the for the North American market. Um, and so with that, you know, it's a very powerful tool that that um, customers can use to to make their app better, to make sure that they're getting all the, the push notifications that they want on their app, that they have everything, you know, kind of the headers where they want them, everything to be um what what best suits the customer but for an operator to really be successful they have to listen to their customer they have to listen to to what they have yeah. to say um you know people are very vocal on twitter people are very vocal on you know all the different um yeah. sites and uh, you, you know i i look at those and say you know what, what are people complaining about the most and our customer service team you know we, we call them the managed services team you know we get a write-up of what are the top 10 issues this week and we look at it and yeah. say, well, is this is this something because it just to us, it looks like it should be, you know, really easy to see or they would be able to find this. But there, you know, if we have people saying that they can't find this, they don't understand this, then we need to change something within the app. Right. And so we yeah. do that every week. We look at that to say, you know, how can we change this? How can we make this more accessible? How can we make it more understandable? Um, and that's because we have the data. Yeah, that, that that's a really good example of of being customer led through different types of data. It doesn't have to be, you know, it can be direct from the customer. It can be implied from the customer's behavior. There's a whole bunch of different ways that we can take information um, and being, since it's, it's, it's customer-led, but also data-led. I think that's a really important point. And, and you're dead right, underperformers within the market will slowly disappear, I suspect, um, as, we keep, as we keep kind of advancing. I've had plenty of guests on the podcast talk about this, but I know where you will sit relatively firmly. Um, and my hat on as well. I, I, I kind of tend to have an opinion on this as well. Operators have a good chance to work with best-in-class third-party providers like Strive, and I think that that when you get that right, rather than potentially building stacks that uh, you know are, are, are good that you can control it, um, but are adding potential overheads or potential costs to your business in the back end um, by running development teams instead of concentrating on brand and concentrating on fan experience. Um, I think that's where guys like Strive really, really excel um, within the market because, you know, it's built for that market. It knows what it's doing. 
what, you're not going to be able to go out and build your own PAM that's going to be the better than the Strive PAM potentially for the US market. So, And I agree, not just being that I'm at Strive, you know, I just, I feel yeah, strongly yeah. that you should let the people who are really good at something do it, you know, yeah. and, and it's that build versus buy, you know, do, yeah. do we want to, you know, and you have to look at your cost and all of that stuff. But um, I think that, you know, in our case, it's, it, the cost is negligible for what what you get out of it, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, let people who that is all they focus on, let them be the expert in that. Let them come in yeah. and, and be the expert in that field and, and direct it and, um, you know, do all that back end stuff so that you can, you know, the operators can then really focus on making their app better, you know, looking at, you know, how, yeah. how it sets up and everything. So um, I'm, I'm a strong proponent of, I think that you, should let experts be experts. I think that you have to look really close to say, do you build, do you buy? Um, and really scope that out. If you think that you should build it, scope it and and add a year yeah. to whatever you think you, because <laughs> it's not gonna be what you think it is. It, it, of course it sounds when you look at it, but then your developers get pulled away to do this, your developers get pulled away to do this. And then you have, like us, it's done already. You know, it comes in, it's turnkey, it's here we go, let's pop it in. and. You know, we're, we're integrated with so many different companies like Extreme Push um, so that it makes it where, you know, we all they get so much out of that that they don't have to bother with it. They can be focusing on the other things. Um, and so I am a big proponent of, you know, do your due diligence. Look to see, you know, I'm sure that there are times where it makes sense to build. I just think that when you have things out there that are, are well built and well made and um, are already excelling in the market, like, Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. Uh, and I swear, I swear for everyone listening, I didn't have that start as my last question to, to ask Jamie about build versus buy. Um, that wasn't a deliberate plug for Strive and Extreme Push, but obviously it was. So um, I, I'd love to finish up uh, today and get like, I know this is this is how long is a piece of string will and you can say, no, I don't want to answer this. But what do you see as the big opportunities moving into 2023? We're halfway through the year now, um, moving into 2024. Um, for the U.S. market, for Strive potentially, like where do you where do you see the next big, the next big, um, the next big opportunities coming for you guys, uh, either from markets that you think might be coming out of regulation uh, or coming into regulation, should I say, or or areas that you guys are really doubling down on and focusing at the moment. You know, we're focusing on getting licensed um, in every yeah. state available. We're focusing, you know, and that yeah. that takes a long time and. Yeah. Um, you know, so really a heavy focus on getting licensed um, in multiple jurisdictions. We already are licensed in multiple, being live in multiple ju uh, jurisdictions. We have um, a couple of big announcements that are going to be coming up um, shortly. And um, great, you know, yeah. So you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, you heard it here first, um, but can't tell you anything yet. Um, yeah, that's fine. But yeah, we're we're really focused on you know helping operators be the most successful they can be by giving them the right tools. Um, and so that's what we go out and we talk to, you know, all the, the, the operators out there and say, you know, this is how we can help you. Let us help you. Um, let's partner up here and, and um, make sure that you're getting the most bang for your buck and that your customers are getting the best experience that they can. So that's that's what we're focused on with 2023, 2024 is, is getting into all the regulated states, getting um, all the licensing and, um, you know, just making sure that, um, that we're there for every knock on the door. Excellent. Um, Jamie, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on Experts in the Room. I think um, 
the insights that you've provided around the market today has been um, extraordinary. Uh, and I think anyone that's looking looking at a best in class product is, and if you're not looking at Strive, then you need to be going and looking at them immediately. Uh, and I'm not just saying that, uh, it's, it's genuinely from the feedback and from having a close relationship with the team across the board. Um, I think you need to be messaging Jamie immediately after this podcast. But um, really great insights. Yeah, that, see, that's my plug bit. Um, I'm being paid extra commission for Strive. No, I'm joking. Um, no, but genuinely, I think the, the insights that you've got, you've had such a long experience and a varied experience within the industry. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on board and we wish you absolutely the best of luck um, as you continue on into 23 and 24. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed being on here.